Hey everybody, this is Gene Troyer. I'm the lead pastor of Restore Church. And what a pleasure it is to welcome you to our podcast. It's my hope that you will be marked by love and encouraged in your faith and inspired to become all God has created you to be. Now I invite you to lean in and enjoy the podcast. If you're like me, we have, um, we have difficulty sometimes in knowing how to live in today's world. Maybe you have seen all the changes over the last decades, and you know, because you're in this room right now, you know that over the last decade, things have changed at an ever more rapid pace. My father is 85 years old, and when he thinks back, when he tells us stories about those days that, were, that are behind him, those days in the late 30s and early 40s that he's mindful, that he remembers. It's very, 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 very different than this morning. Very different. And so how do we, how do we keep our footing in the middle of a world that changes at the degree, at the rapid pace that the current world changes? It's really important that we understand the challenges we face. And it's really important, it's so significant that we understand the, the importance of our countercultural faith and that we have that faith anchored in the teachings of Jesus. The question for us is what, what if we find ourselves at odds or at the very least confused? with the assumptions that are being made about gender, sexuality, global warming, politics, you name it, if it is a high-profile question, we're grappling with it. How do we discern with wisdom a world where everything is being carefully curated for us? It seems that we have a thought, and it shows up on our social media feed. Like, are they reading our minds or what? That's what it feels like sometimes. So this morning, I want to talk to you about unchanging truth in a changing world. Unchanging truth in a changing world. So this past Monday, I, um, I was uh, doing a lot of work around the house and uh, our property. And um, Mondays is my day off. It's my Sabbath. Quotation marks, Sabbath. So one of my friends called me, and he's like kind of getting permission to call me, right? It's your Sabbath, right? I said, well, kind of. What do you mean? He's like, well, you know, you're not doing church work. Like, you're, it's your Sabbath. I kept couching my answer. I'm like, well, yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking a lot about church, but no, I'm not really doing any church work. He said, well, what are you doing? Well, I've spent the last four hours bent over at the waist, pulling weeds out of landscaping that's been neglected. That's what I've been doing, and now I'm going to mow the yard. Oh, so, so you're doing things in the Sabbath. It's your Sabbath, so you're doing things that give you life. <laughs> like, well, it gave me life for about 30 minutes, but now it's giving me a pain in the back. And I'm having a hard time, you know, 
I have to stretch my leg muscles in order to keep going here. The questions he was asking kept exposing what I was hiding. Good questions do that. Things that we don't even know we're hiding, things we're hiding from ourselves, can emerge when the right questions are being asked. Now, truth be told, I don't Sabbath super well. So there you go. I'll just be honest with you. I don't Sabbath super well. I keep being encouraged by Brenda to figure that out. And I am hoping that I'm figuring that out. When I was growing up, Sabbath meant you didn't do anything except feed the horses and, you know, make sure the chickens have feed. That's the only work you did on, this, on Sunday. It became a very religious sort of thing. And now I've, I've kind of bucked that trend a little bit. And, um, you know, I don't know if they're going to watch this or not. But if my in-laws didn't live across the street, I might mow my yard on Sunday afternoons. But I just assume not cross that bridge. Do you believe everything you believed yesterday? Do you believe everything today that you believed yesterday? You ever change your mind about anything? Sit with that for a minute. Do you believe everything today that you believed yesterday? What is your relationship with truth? Are you living in it? What is the basis for the truth that you believe? Do you believe that God is who he says he is? An affirmative answer is really yes when everything's going well. I mean, we can sit here this morning. Well, I'm here, aren't I? Yes. I believe God is who he says he is. But what, when God doesn't respond the way you expect, what then? When life equals pain and suffering and loss, what then? What if your relationships go south? What if the people closest to you turn their back on you? And what if your health is not healthy? Is God still who he says he is? Can he still be trusted? Is he still for you? And probably the most difficult one is when the scriptures seem silent about a certain subject. And worse than that, when God doesn't seem to be where we need him to be, what then? Are you comfortable with the mystery that resides in the silence? All right, those are questions about God. What about you? What about me? When I don't res respond the way I expected to respond, what then? Am I thinking rightly about myself? Am I thinking correctly about my circumstances? Am I thinking and believing more or less of myself or more highly than I ought to? Am I the only one that ever sits and wonders, what in the world was that about? How, why did I respond in that way? 
These are questions that we have to honestly consider as we look around, as we assess and judge the state of the world around us and the world in us. A couple years ago when I found out I had cancer, it just showed up in a, in a blood test. And um, the doctor had been watching my levels because it, my dad had cancer as well. And so when it showed up, when, it was, uh, when the numbers showed that I needed a little more attention, he sent me to a specialist and um, there was a biopsy performed. Uh, turns out it was a Gleason 6, which basically means, yeah, it's there, but you can kind of do what you're comfortable with here. Do you want, I mean, that was the, that was the kind of the response we had. It's not aggressive. So you get to decide whether you want to have surgery or just see what happens. But we kept asking questions. Because we knew that getting to the truth, however difficult it seemed to be, had the potential to save my life. So we went for another biopsy. And this biopsy confirmed additional lesions. Now, to get to the truth, we had to ask questions. To get to the truth, we can't be afraid to keep asking questions. After all, Jesus admonished us to say, uh, he admonished us by saying, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. To get to the truth, trust has to flourish. We had to trust the medical community. I didn't feel like I had cancer. I didn't know how to read that biopsy report. I didn't know how to read the MRI. I had to trust the doctors. And in order for trust to flourish, we had to keep asking the right questions. You have to keep asking the right questions in order for trust to flourish. And then we have to be willing to follow that truth wherever the truth leads us. I believe the best answer is the right question. Jesus modeled this for us. And, you know, I, I have to believe that the people that were asking him questions got so frustrated with him. Can you imagine? Like, here's, here's the guy that is telling us a new way to live. And they would ask him questions from every angle to try to prove him wrong. And he often answered with a question in return. Perhaps the most infamous question asked of Jesus was in the interaction he had with Pilate as Pilate was deciding whether to execute Jesus or free him. Listen to this passage of scripture from John chapter 18, verse 29. Now remember, he'd been in front of the high priest Caiaphas and uh, they had determined, the Jewish community had determined that Jesus would need to die. So they took him to Pilate and so Pilate, the governor, went out to them. He's going out to the people, to the high priests, to those religious leaders. And he's saying, hey, what is your charge against this man? What's the charge against this man? 
And what preceded was this sparring match between Jesus and Pilate. Of course, the people said, well, we wouldn't have handed him over to you if he weren't a criminal. Is there an answer in there somewhere? Then take him away and judge him by your own law. Pilate was like, I'm not a Jew. I'm a Roman governor. I'm above your petty disagreements here. Take him away and take care of this yourself. But their response was, only the Romans are permitted to execute someone. So then Pilate went back into his headquarters and he called for Jesus to be brought, for him, brought to him. And he asked him the question, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replies, do you think of this question yourself or did someone else put you up to it? Are you the king of the Jews? I don't know, am I? This your own idea? Am I a Jew, Pilate retorted? Your own people and their leading priests brought you to me for trial. Why? What have you done? Isn't it interesting that the judge asked the supposed lawbreaker what he did to be judged? What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. And Pilate says, so you are a king. You say I am. When I read this, I read it with fresh eyes again. Because Jesus didn't answer to the affirmative, but answered in questions making a statement here to say, well, you say I'm a king. And then he says, actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. And Pilate's response is this classic response. What is truth? What is truth? I would submit to you this morning that Jesus was not only testifying to the truth, but he is the truth. It is as he uh, said to his disciples in John chapter 14, when Thomas said, yeah, God, we don't, or Jesus, we don't know where you're going. How do we understand this? And Jesus responds to him and says, I am the way and I am the truth and the life. No one can come to the father except through me. See, so much of what you and I believe, what we inherently know is true, comes up into question when we begin to be saturated in the ways of the world. Let me say that a little bit differently. So much of what we believe when it comes to our faith comes into question when we begin to be saturated with the world around us. Saturation doesn't mean I'm just getting sprinkled a little bit. Saturation means that the water is pouring over me. The ways of the world are all, I'm being immersed in them. It's on my 
It's on my feed. It's on my timeline. It is on the local news, the national news. I am being saturated and you are being saturated by the ways of the world, which prompts us to say, hmm, I wonder what I believed all these years. Is it true? It's not a bad exercise, but it's not a place where we want to stay. It's a question that must be answered. If you have any question at all about, is this faith journey one that I really believe in? Often, often, we find ourselves, even if it's temporarily, we find ourselves believing the truth of the world, their truth, sometimes referred to as our truth, because we want acceptance, we want comfort, and even if the short-term, if there are short-term benefits, there are long-term implications, negative implications, when we are continuously saturated in the ways of the world. I believe Pilate was undoubtedly troubled by the lack of evidence in front of him. I mean, his judgment would mean either a local riot would break out which would reflect poorly on his leadership, or he would put an innocent man to death, which had far more serious implications than simply a riot. But in the moment, capitulating to the crowd was the easy way out. Instead of leaning in and going for the truth, he recognized the implications of a King Jesus on his own power and authority. Now, on this side of history, it's easy for you and I to judge Pilate for his actions. He wanted to, like, wash his hands of the responsibility. He couldn't see the truth because the truth was not in him. You and I, all of us, we all have moments, don't we, when we are absolutely certain that we're right. We swear that our truth is legit, only to discover later that we were mistaken doesn't mean we were lying the first time around. It simply means maybe we didn't have all the information. Our personal truth, often described as my truth, is based on what we have experienced. But we are not the source of ultimate truth. We just have experiences. And from those experiences, those things inform what we believe to be true. But sometime, and sooner rather than later, our truth bumps up against the truth and our truth has to submit and bow to the truth. This, this um, journey of discovering the truth, it requires an open mind and an open heart. Sometimes we, uh, we want to not have an open heart and an open mind. It's uncomfortable. There was a time when the people asked Jesus, hey, when will the end come? When will God bring the consummation of all things? Jesus said, I don't know. I don't know. See, when we grip too tightly to the answers that bring us comfort, we run the risk of choosing the security of a lie. When we grip too tightly to the answers that bring us comfort, we run the risk of choosing the security of a lie. What are you comfortable with this morning? Have you, have you checked to see if it's actually true? 
is your comfort level based on the amount of security you have in your relationships. Like mowing my yard is neither here nor there where, to me on a Sunday. But I choose not to do something because I choose not to offend someone else. And I could look at that and go, well, it's the law that I don't mow my yard. Well, I don't believe that's the case. So I'm not putting my security in the fact that, I mean, I have reasons for not doing what I'm, what I'm for, for not doing those things that I know would offend. It has nothing to do with my security. I love people. You love people. And so sometimes we make decisions that are not just good for us, but they're good for them as well. Truth changes us. And if it doesn't, it is a lie. For example, if we follow the way of Jesus, then we should become more loving. I find it ironic that so many in the church world today hate the people that they actually are trying to say that they will want to reach. It really doesn't work all that well. I don't want to be reached by someone who actually doesn't love me, and neither do you. If we've been forgiven, it stands to reason that we should become more forgiving. Yes? If Jesus is the source of our hope, then we should, know for, then we should be knowing, known for being the most hope-filled people on the planet. If Jesus is our hope, is he your hope this morning? If we've been recreated, made new by the creator who makes all things new, shouldn't we be at work creating extraordinary experiences and things and products? If in fact, it is true that God is good and kind and beautiful, it seems that those of us who say we follow him would then reflect this in our lives too. So let's get really personal. What's the truth about you and your relationships? Because we can have this high-level conversation to say, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But when it comes right down to our hearts and souls, what is true about your relationships? Because what's true about your relationships has a lot to do with what's true about your ability and your uh, embracing of the truth of Jesus. If you have authentic relationships, you're moving toward truth. If your relationships are destructive, and you're believing the lies. That's a very black and white statement. I know that. But I believe we have to look at this as a very black and white circumstance. If you are doing everything in your power to have right relationships, that's what's required. And I recognize that there are two parts to a relationship. There are multiple people in a relationship. Are you doing what you need to do to live in the truth? In John chapter 8, 
Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you're truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. Catch that? You're truly my disciples. You are my people if you remain faithful to my teachings. Some of us declare that we are followers of Jesus, and yet we don't remain faithful to his teachings. When we do, we will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Oh, but we're descendants of Abraham, they said. They have a very short memory. They said, we've never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you will set us free? The Jews were even then being occupied by the Roman government. Even then they were slaves. They were slaves many, 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 many years and generations before that. But in that moment, they didn't like the words that Jesus was giving them. What do you mean? My mom believes in Jesus. Wait a second. My grandfather was a preacher. He was a local bishop. What do you mean? You're going to set me free. The people that came before you set the trajectory for your life and for my life. Is salvation in that trajectory? Not if you don't receive it. Is God's saving grace in that trajectory? Not if you don't receive it. Your ancestors are not going to save you. The truth of Jesus is that he has come to redeem us and to redeem every single generation. Jesus replied to them. He said, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. So there's no, um, there's no uh, parsing this at all. If you sin, you're a slave to sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. And so if the son sets you free, these are the words we love. If the son sets you free, you are truly free. Some versions would say, if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. So how do we navigate a changing world with an unwavering commitment to the truth? I hope you didn't come for a formula this morning because I don't have a formula for you. What I have for you is a savior that wants to inform your life, that wants to be in every detail of your life, that wants to show you this is how now to walk this Jesus way. So identify what is true. Then embrace the truth with all your energy. Hold on to it. Don't let it go. Ask yourself, am I true? What's my intention toward others? Do I want good for those that I encounter or do I wish harm? Is my word true? Do I speak the truth? Am I capitulating to the culture around me or am I looking at my place in the world through the filter of the word of God and applying these truths to my life? Do I approach the world differently because of the work of Christ in me? Paul writes these words in 1 Corinthians 9. He says, and this is my translation, my freedom submits to the will of God, which is that all people would come to know Christ so that no one's faith would be weakened on account of me, that all people would live in the truth and that no one would live in deception. 
See, when we believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, then we reject faulty wisdom. Then no matter how much the world changes and no matter what comes our way, including suffering, don't you hate suffering? Me too. But when it comes our way, we will not believe that God has somehow abandoned us. If you look at history, men and women, women throughout history have suffered, have lost their lives, have had it far worse than a stupid pandemic or whatever it else. You know, it sounded very uh, lacking in empathy in that moment, but um, I do empathize with those of us that suffer. <laughs> But sometimes our suffering becomes this huge thing that in the scope of history and in the scope of our life, we need to right-size it and say, God is good in the middle of all of this. What is true and right about the one that we follow? Am I following well? Here's what I believe. Would you stand with me as we close? Here's the final thing that I want to say to you. When our truth, our personal truth, based on the experiences that we have, when our truth is embedded in God's truth, we bring ourselves to the table of community differently. Do you understand what I'm saying there? When our truth is embedded in God's truth. We come to the table much differently. The table might be the office space you occupy, occupy during the course of a week. The table might be connecting with a few people at a local restaurant. The table might be how you bring yourselves to the family table. When you bring yourself embedded in God's truth, you bring the version that God looks at and says, yes, yes, yes. That's my kid, that's my child. The work that is happening in them is good and right. Look at how gracious they're becoming. Look at how much they steer away from judging harshly. See, I believe God's spirit is at work in us as we journey toward this discovery of truth to learn what then do I do next? How do we navigate this changing world? We, we stand firmly on the foundation that is before us. I'm gonna invite our prayer team forward and um, as we sing together, as we close our time, you know, sometimes it, um, 
it's a very targeted sort of, if you need this, come for prayer. And sometimes that's helpful. What I think uh, I want to say to you this morning is that if you feel a vacuum in your soul this morning, if the truth has been hard to come by for you, like, let's stand in the truth and come for prayer. These guys don't have all the answers. But sometimes it's simply coming alongside someone who can speak life and blessing over you that brings the truth. And so I invite you to come as we sing. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. Please rate and review us on Spotify and iTunes and join us again for next week's podcast. We love you and pray blessing and peace over you and your family.